You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, guys, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Give Randy applause for jumping in and helping out this morning. So thank you so much. Uh, We're in... Starting a new message series this morning called Follow, and, and uh, I think probably one of the most difficult times it is to follow uh, Jesus Christ is uh, when you're, everything's going great. Um, it's easier to follow God when things go wrong because then you realize you need, it's only God that's going to be able to help you to make it through. Um, this is why people, when they're on their deathbed, they cry out to God. This is why my uncle, who um, lived a pretty crazy lifestyle, created a lot of drama, um, and then at the last moment of his life, professed faith in Jesus Christ. This is perhaps why the criminal on the cross, uh, right next to Jesus, says, you know, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says today, I'll see you in paradise. Um, But what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ? And so today the topic is uh, looking at John chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Uh, We've been cruising along in the Gospel of John for over a year. We're already in chapter 9. I'm real excited about that. And uh, today is the topic is suffering for the glory of God and for your good. It's for God's glory and your good. How do do you do that? Typically, when you suffer, it's easy to be very selfish and self-focused and not, 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 not think about God's glory or how this could be used for good. I think there's three kinds of suffering that uh, we can agree on. There's actually uh, the suffering that is uh, a self-inflicted, a self-imposed, innocent suffering, and redemptive suffering. But let's look at this self-inflicted suffering just for a moment. Um, This is when you do something that you shouldn't have done, and you bring a suffering or pain and trial upon yourself. Uh, you get into trouble, you, uh, uh, some of you uh, kind of, uh, maybe you, you, burn, you make a decision and you feel the consequences of that choice. And always hindsight's twenty twenty. and if you could rewind the clock, you'd be like, man, I wouldn't be in this trouble had I done this or that. Self-inflicted suffering is a kind that you bring on yourself. Uh, You cause some of your own problems, your own uh, trials and tribulation. Uh, On a simple note, it'd be you don't always eat the right foods, you don't make the right decisions, you don't respond the right way to others. How many of you would, would agree that you've brought some trials upon yourself when you look back at your life? Yeah, and if you could rewind the clock, you would and make different choices. But how many of you could say, even in those trials, you saw how God turned around and used it for good? It's a beautiful thing. As a Christian, you need to understand that suffering is an opportunity for you to grow when you go through a hardship. Today, what we're going to see is this big topic of suffering um, and uh, dealing with it. But then there's another kind of suffering I want to just point out is there's innocent suffering that happens in our world. Innocent suffering is when, th- through no fault of your own, you get hurt by someone else. You, you, there's a, a car crash. Somebody breaks the law, drunk driver, and hits you, and all of a sudden your whole life is in just crazy disarray. I, I have to tell you, two uh, interesting, uh, almost comical stories about uh, 
uh, how suffering came upon Leslie and I, but looking back, it's like, we're okay. God used it for good. One was I was at Dallas Seminary. I was very poor. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, Kids were just very, very little. It was my birthday. And we decided to go out for a beautiful uh, date night and uh, go to a dance. And we're going driving downtown Dallas. And all of a sudden, um, my wife is driving. Uh, We've got another couple in the back. Uh, They're friends of ours in seminary. The kids are taken care of with babysitters. We're driving downtown Dallas, trying to get to the restaurant, then trying to go to this dance. And uh, we're driving, and all of a sudden, we go through an intersection, and out of nowhere, somebody runs a red light. Just slams into us. You ever been in an accident before, and you feel like slow motion just happens? It's like your body just slows everything down. The car skids to the side, and literally, I look over, and I see the individual who just hit us, and I thought, okay, we're going to get out and straighten this. Is everybody okay? Everybody okay? Like, Ryan goes into EMT mode, and uh, I'm responding. Everybody okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I th- get out, and I say, sir, sir, what, are you okay? And all of a sudden, he looks at me, and he floors it, just Wah! and drives off. And I'm like, I jump in the car and I say, Leslie, gas it, go, chase him. And she's like, no, we got in a wreck. I said, floor it. And she, whoa. And we're chasing this guy through downtown Dallas. And I'm like, floor it, floor it, floor it. And we're, whoa. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm thinking this, I'm getting out of control, but we're going to catch this guy. Somebody saw us. I'm going to call him Mr. Miata Man. He was in a convertible Miata. He was right next to us. He saw the whole thing. He sees it. (laughs) We're driving and all of a sudden we see Miata man in a convertible and had leather gloves, fingerless gloves on. He looks at us and goes, I got you. (laughs) And I'm like, this is awesome. We've got Miata man on our side. And all of a sudden, he floors it, runs in front of him, hits his e-brake, gets out of his car and goes, stop! And the guy hits the brake. I run out, jump out of the car, go up to his license plate, grab it and go, boom! And I pulled it off and I go, I got you, sucker! Miata man goes, yeah! My wife's like, this is too much. Uh, We caught him. He literally did a hit and run. He didn't have his driver's license. He had drugs in the car. He was scared to death and he ran. That that destroyed our car. We lost our car out of that. We didn't have a car. The seminary felt bad and donated a minivan to us with wood grain paneling. And I drove that for a very long time. That's innocent suffering. Um, I'll save the other story for another day, but you've been there before. You didn't do anything wrong. It just came upon you really, really fast. And then you're dealing with the pain and the consequences. Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe somebody cheated on you. Maybe somebody backstabbed you. Maybe somebody has scammed you or stolen from you or hurt you. And you're completely, to be honest, you're completely innocent. And you're like, God, how do I respond in this? Then there's a third kind of suffering. I think it's the highest form of suffering, and I call it redemptive suffering. 
This is a kind of suffering that happens when you go through an incredible pain or problem and you allow God to use it for his glory. You go through something in life and it's incredibly traumatic, incredibly painful, but you look at it and you go, God, my story for your glory. I think of the life of Joseph, cheated, ousted, uh, an attempt on his life, sold into slavery by his own family. And then through all that, there comes a moment when Joseph is grown up, he's a powerful uh, a leader, and he has the power to put his brothers to death or to forgive them and move on, and he stands up with a level of redemption in his mind and in his heart, and he says, hey, what you intended for evil, God's intended for good. I think of the life of Jesus Christ and the cross and how he went to the cross and all the evil that's happening. But even through that evil of uh, of of falsely accusing Jesus, falsely arresting him, falsely punishing him and sending him to the cross for uh, capital punishment offenses, he's completely innocent. But even in that movement, Remember when Pilate says to Jesus, you know, I've got the power to let you live or to let you die. And Jesus responds, you've got no power that hasn't been granted by my Father above. There's a level of sovereignty that we're going to look at today too in this issue of suffering that God is still sovereign and in control of all that goes on in your life. And he can use it for good. And so we're going to jump in and look at this text. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Um, Jesus has finished up the Feast of Tabernacles. There's been a huge controversy about his life and his message. And uh, now he is uh, on his way. He's slipped through the crowd. Uh, People were trying to uh, take his life. And now he's going to keep pressing on, keep moving forward, and he's going to do some healing. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. There weren't a lot of blind people from birth back then. A lot of people would go blind in the first century, but there weren't a lot of people blind from birth. And if you were blind from birth, that meant something perhaps was wrong with you. There was uh, religious teaching and ideas that maybe you had sinned or you'd done something wrong, almost like what we think of as karma. Verse 2 says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, that is, he's referring to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Their assumption was, maybe he sinned, and what would, when would he have sinned? I guess in the womb? Uh, so, the, in the womb, he's sinning? I mean, I think about that, and is it possible for a child to sin in the womb? The Bible says we're born into sin. Well, I've got twins. I've got a boy and a girl. And I can testify, I put my hand on my wife's belly and I could say, they were scrapping all the time. They were fighting in there. I don't know who was punching who or kicking who, but they were going to town. Um, and his parents uh, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man, this man or his parents that he was born blind. There was a kind of a concept that if your parents sinned, there'd be a generational curse. 
and you would continue to pass down and you would almost have to uh, uh, suffer the consequences of your parents. And therefore, they linked uh, physical ailments or uh, disabilities or whatever to uh, sin entirely. Uh, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I think there's a reality that um, we can say biblically and theologically that why was the person born blind is the Bible tells us that in Genesis, when there was a rebellion and sin entered the world, it infected and affected everything in everyone. Are you with me? That things are not the way they're supposed to be. People are not made whole. People do wrong. Once sin entered the world, it kind of fractured everything. And yet here, God's Jesus isn't going to point to the reason, but he's going to point to the, to the purpose. He's going to press forward and say, it was not that this man sinned, he's debunking uh, that idea, or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. How many of you, if you could say that maybe you've got some struggles in your life, but you can see how God's used them for good? Yeah. I think for me, I, I was uh, born, I guess, uh, with a disability called attention deficit disorder. It, it sounds like a cop-out. Uh, that I would say that, but literally as a kid, I struggled in every single class to pay attention, and I struggled my whole way through school, and I rebelled because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. My mind was always racing. I read about how a lot of entrepreneurial people have so many thoughts. They have multiple thoughts at the same time. It's very hard for them to concentrate, and they have to create habits and systems in order to stay focused. Some of you, um, I know you probably see it in me when I'm out in the courtyard, my mind is racing and my heart, my mind is, is I want to connect with every single person that walks onto this campus. And I especially want to say hi to all the new people just to say hello. And so if you see me in that, sometimes uh, you see my mind's racing and you're like, are you with me? You can ask that question. Are you paying attention to me? You can say, my wife goes, repeat what I just said. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, sometimes I have two to three thoughts at the same moment in time. I sleep with a notepad beside my bed because God gives me different ideas and I write them down in the middle of the night and I get up and I pray about them and think, is this good or is this not good? Um, it's a, it's, I believe it's a custom-designed weakness that God used to humble me and keep me humble that I don't always have my act together. So I went through school. I, I failed out of most of my classes, and I felt terrible. And then God did something incredible. I had a conversion moment right out of high school, and uh, my whole life changed. I feel like he gave me a new heart, a new mind, a, just a new, a, new, a, a new self. I went on to make the dean's list in college. I was making A's and B's. I went on to a seminary and got two master's degrees. And everybody would say, I'm so proud of you. And you know what I'd say? 
It's God's glory, man. My story's crazy. I, th I thought I was going to be a college dropout. Um, that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. They're thinking, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? This guy's born blind. He's a little beggar asking for money on the side of the temple. What, what are you going to do? Verse, verse 4, we must, uh, Jesus says, we, we must work the works of him, that's his father, who sent me while it's day, meaning while you live, night is coming when no one can work. In other words, we've got a mission in life. You better work with it right now because you don't get reincarnated and come back. You got one life to live on this earth. You make it count. So they're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Remember what he says later, you're going to be the light of the world. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground. Like, what? He says all that and then, it's like, that's, that's awkward. I don't know what kind of, like, if it was like a, yeah, I'll just skip that part. <laughs> but Jesus is human. He spits on the ground and made mud. That's, that's a lot of spit. <laughs> he makes mud with the saliva. I'm thinking this is totally unconventional. This is totally unheard of. This is definitely unwanted. Like, what do you, cover Jesus up. This is weird. Cover him up. He's spitting in the mud over here. Cover. Um, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Come here. Come here, buddy. Come here. I can't, I can't see you. Okay, let me grab your hand. Come here. Come here. The, guy, the disciples are like, are you, are you kidding me? This is very weird. He anointed the man's eyes with mud and he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he sent, so he sent and washed and came back and, and he was seeing. I don't know how he got there. Probably somebody had to help him out. I mean, the guy got to the temple every morning, but all of a sudden the guy's got these orders, got mud in my eyes. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, this guy, Jesus told me I need to go. I wash this stuff out. I'm going to get it's, it's going to do something. Guy's like, all right, this is sad. This is very humiliating, but sure, let's go. I, I don't know what the first words were, but probably something like, I can see. I want to go find my mom. I want to go find my dad. I want to go find my brothers. I want to I see my friends. I can see. So Jesus did it. He did a creative work. He's got the power to do that. He spoke the world into existence and he heals this man, but he does it with mud. Verse eight, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Verse nine, and some said, it is he. Others said, no, he is like him. 
And he kept saying, I am the man. I'm the man. I'm the man that was blind, but now I see. They're thinking, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Verse 10. Verse 11. He answered, the man called Jesus, he made some mud. He anointed my eyes, said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. Received sight. I think of my story of how I came to faith in Christ. I look at this text and I see me as the blind man. I was totally blind. I was blind. I could not see. I did not know how life worked. And God found me. He found me. He took me. He healed me. He helped me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. But he came for me. That's the story of the gospel right there. You're blind. You cannot see apart from a, an incredible, miraculous work of God's intervention in your life, and you get no credit for this. He's the one who opens the sight of the blind. Amen? They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I've been blind a very long time. I do not know where he is. Because when Jesus sent him away, he was blind. So of course he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't even know what he looks like. So the question comes back to the issue of suffering, and this is where I want to drill in our remaining time, because uh, the question came up for the disciples and for those around, how, how is this playing out? How to suffer for God's glory and for your good? Number one, I would say rely on God. Very simple, but very, very, very important. You rely on God. You don't go, you don't go, go get help from a bottle or for a, from a pill. You, you don't find uh, your satisfaction in anything or anyone else other than God. He is a savior. He is a healer. He is your hope. He is your res restoration. He is the power that you need. Rely on God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend on your own understanding. Let's say that together. Do not depend on your own understanding. Look to the person next to you and say, do not depend on your own understanding. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. What you need is God's understanding. That's what you need. You do not need your understanding. It is very okay to say, God, I do not understand while I'm going through this suffering. I do not understand. And he says, you can't understand. Sometimes, right? We just can't understand. But he says, but you can understand and trust me through this whole thing. What do you need to do? You lean on three things. Number one, I would say you lean on God's word. Number two, you lean on God's people. Number three, you lean on God's spirit. God's word. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. 
The Word of God is your strength. The Word of God gives you the direction. The Word of God gives you the protection. The Word of God will help bring correction. Rely on God. The blind man had to rely on God. He's thinking, this is pretty humiliating, but I'm pretty desperate, so I'll do what he said. I'll take the mud in my eye. And if, by the way, if I was that blind guy and I heard Jesus hawking the dirt and then I heard his disciples, oh my goodness, what is he doing? And then they're like, oh, he's going to put it on his eyes. I'd be like, don't you dare, don't you dare. Don't you make fun of me. Rely on God. He said, okay, put it all over. Put it all over me. Relying on God can be humiliating. Relying on God can be humbling. Relying on God, God's word, God's people. You need God's people in your life. When you're going through a really difficult time, you need godly people to speak into your life. You don't need your understanding as much as you need God's word, God's people, and then last, you need God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. He's the one that will help you navigate through some of the challenges and maybe the principles are in Scripture, but the decision that you need to make, you can't find that right answer. But you have the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. And you trust your gut in that. Uh, you say things like this so normally, I just don't feel right about that. I don't have a peace about that. I'm together on this decision and other godly people are right behind me and we're in agreement about this. this. This is the right move. You look to God's word, you look to God's people, you look to God's spirit. I think of a time in great trouble and there was a huge transition in, uh, in the life of uh, a great leader. Uh, Moses had passed on and uh, the new leader needed to step up. Here's what it says, Joshua 1, 8 through 9. God speaks and says, you need to keep this book of the law always on your lips. You need to meditate on it day and night. Let's keep God's word, right? You keep God's word. You meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For what? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. You see how good that is? And the command is, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong. You are strong. You are not weak. You are not weak if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have supernatural power. You do not need to cower. You need to be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. You need to rely on God. Number two, you need, reinforce, you need reinforcement. Reinforce yourself with other believers. You need other people in your life. You need godly people beside you to help walk through whatever you're going through. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, a person, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Look what that passage says, a person standing alone. In a recent article I read about loneliness in America and how the pandemic uh, deepened the epidemic of loneliness 
uh, and what to do about it, I discovered 36% of all Americans say that they struggle, struggle deeply with a deep, severe sense of loneliness. It's more than one-third of our country right now, loneliness, alone. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you're stronger by yourself or stronger with other people right beside you? You're stronger together. 61% of young adults in our country right now would agree and they say they feel severely alone. What's really interesting to me, out of that 61% of young adults, did you know what? They're the heaviest users of social media. I found out just the other day, 1,300 hours of the average American a year is spent on social media. That's 54 days, 24-hour periods. And we're at the highest rates of anxiety, suicide, and depression. Loneliness. What, what, what am I saying to you? What I'm saying to you is it can be really tough. I can think back of in our church and seen many lonely moms. 51% of mothers with young children feel a high sense of anxiety and depression because they're alone. Things have changed. So what do we do? Well, as a church, what we do is I'm going to challenge us is many of us have been way too comfortable during the pandemic online. We need to come back on campus. So those of you that are online, get on campus. And here's why. Because we need you and you need us. Another thing we made a huge shift at this church is we said we want our church during the pandemic to be one of the most friendliest and kindest and connective places. We invested a huge amount of resources to open up that grill and open up that courtyard. And we have what most churches do not have is we have a common community space where every Sunday there's connections. We spaced our services out so you can connect with other people. Sometimes you just need to hear a word. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hope you're doing good today. You part of a community group? If not, join mine. You need reinforcements in life. When I do memorial service, I always tell them, you're going to need people around you. Number three, uh, how to suffer for God's glory and your good. Number three, you can do this by revealing your faith by witnessing. Here's the point. Uh, how you handle your suffering is a witness to the world. You, you handle your suffering very, very poorly. You, you do not show the power and the grace and the goodness of God. You handle your suffering very well. You showcase the power and the majesty and the presence of God. These are the most powerful people to me. I can remember one lady who was dying of cancer. She stood up in our church service one Sunday her name was Cindy Fain. She stood up with a microphone, very feeble. She was going to die. And she said, I just need everybody to know I experience God's goodness and his power and his presence. And I know I don't have long to live, but I need you to know God is good. What a witness. What a witness. When you're suffering, do you know what the temptation is? Is to be incredibly deeply self-focused and selfish. And God's not going to work through that. He's not going to work through your self-infatuation. He's not going to work through your pride like that. You need to come to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I need help. And in doing so, you can be an incredible uh, witness to others. I think of Daniel. What a great case study, by the way, for the average Christian American in today's time, going through a crazy political, 
challenging, tumultuous situation for the life of the believer. He was uh, captured, uh, taken in and uh, into Babylon, and he's forced into being indoctrinated as a young kid, and he serves faithfully for decades in a very corrupt, evil system. He stands up, and he shows up, and he keeps his faith right front and center. Daniel 3.28, then Nebuchadnezzar sees all this and says, praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for he has sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. What's he talking about? They had thrown him into the fiery furnace. This was a test for their life. Daniel didn't burn up. He said, turn it up. In the midst of that, all of a sudden, there's an angel that pops up uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All this is going on. There's a, a fourth person in the fire. Who was that person? I believe that was actually Jesus Christ. This cross out here is a reminder that God is with us in the hardest, most difficult times. That's the story of God. He's with you in your crushing. He's with you in your suffering. He's, he's there in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar, the evil dictator, says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has sent angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. Number four, uh, I want to encourage you and challenge you to reach out and comfort those in need. Reach out and comfort those in need. God will use your, your, your challenge, your mess, your misery uh, in times like this. He'll take your trials, he'll take your temptations, and he can turn them around. He can take your, per, your pressure and your persecution, and he can create something incredible out of it. He can take your burdens and your brokenness, and he can bring blessing. He can take your struggle, your suffering, and sanctify it. He can take your conflicts or your crisis and make something pretty incredible out of it. He can take the problems and the pains. He can take the fears and the failures. He can take the hurts and the habits. And so what do you do? I say this is that when you're going through something like that, you praise God. You get on your knees, like we sang earlier this morning, the battle starts on your knees. You praise God. Zach Williams has got a song out. It says something like this. It says, praise opens prisons. Praise opens prisons. When we're suffering, when we're struggling, what happens is we can entrap ourselves in our own suffering, our own struggle, our own issues. And we can forget that, you know what, God is still good and I can still praise him. When you start praising, something supernatural happens in you and something supernatural will happen through you. And this is how you could reach out to other people. It's got to start with praise. And this is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can, help me out, comfort, comfort others. The recovering alcoholic can help the alcoholic. The mom who lost a baby can help the young mom who lost a baby. The struggling young man who was failing out of school and couldn't succeed can help the underdog. For me, man, this is my struggle, I feel like, is a blessing because I can help other people. People move to our valley because they're struggling and hurting so many physical ailments oftentimes, and um, 
when, when I went through suffering of back, massive back pain and had to go through ongoing chronic pain. How many of you are there right now? Ongoing chronic pain. And those of you that are going through that ongoing chronic pain, you've got two choices to make. Get bitter or get better. How do you get better? You praise God in the midst of all your hurt. But when you're going through that chronic pain, can you not eat more easily relate to those people that are going through chronic pain? You can say, man, I know what it feels like. That, that is hard. I want to encourage you to turn your misery into a ministry. Get your eyes off yourself. Take the hurt you find and help bring healing and help to somebody else. Take your pain and give God praise. Experience his comfort and then you can comfort others. Number five, I would just say this, is realize this, is realize that God has a greater purpose for your life. God has a greater purpose for your life. Life is not a coincidence. Life is not karma um, or random freak accidents. That, that doesn't happen. God's word tells us that God uses all things, even the bad things, for good. God is a redeemer. He restores the brokenhearted. I think back uh, to the idea of, of the cross when that criminal, um, he's going to profess faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus says, today I will see you in paradise. Um, if karma was the law that was in play at that point in time, there's no way that man would be enabled to experience salvation. He would need to reincarnate, come back and suffer and struggle until he earned his salvation. We don't live like that. God's grace is greater. There's not a karma. There's no random freak accidents that God's not involved in. Life is not a coincidence. God is in control. He's sovereign over the suffering. I think back and look at the life of Daniel. Let's look at it and see what happens. This greater purpose Daniel 3, 28 through 30, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any God except their own God. Now he's like saying, man, this is incredible. Look at these men. Verse 29, therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. God had a greater purpose for their suffering. And you need to realize in your own life that there's a greater purpose beyond you in your trial, in your suffering, in your hardship. There's a greater purpose at play. It goes on to show that uh, in the text, if you would read in Daniel, that they, these individuals go ahead and get promoted. And they have an incredible influence. But they were faithful in their fiery trials. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 I'll read this and then close out. Great encouragement. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
far outweighing them all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray just for each and every person here, whatever suffering that they may be going through, maybe it's uh, just a suffering that they don't understand. Maybe it's self-inflicted. They brought it upon themselves. Might they turn to you and seek restoration, uh, lean on your word, lean on other godly people, and lean on your spirit, Lord, to guide them. Father, for those that are suffering from innocent suffering, just a suffering that through no fault of their own, completely innocent, they've been hurt deeply by somebody else. They're abandoned, rejected, scammed, hurt. Lord, give them help. You are near to the brokenhearted. And Father, for, for those that are seeking to say, Lord, I want you to use this a redemptive way, might you show up in a very powerful way way in their life and their presence and see the redemption through that suffering. In Jesus' name, bring blessing, power, healing, and hope. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.